He's an award-winning author of two awesome books, Lift, Fostering the Leader in You Amid Revolutionary Global Change, and then the second one is Everything Connects, Cultivating Mindfulness, Creativity, and Innovation for Long-Term Value. Hi, listeners. I actually had a great interview with a guy called Faisal Hawk, and he's the founder of Shadoka and Next Chapter and other companies that focus on enabling sustainable and transformational change. Throughout his whole career, he's um, developed about 20 commercial businesses and technology platforms, and he's worked in both the public and private sector sector giants. Now, he's, he's won three times. He's been the winning founder and CEO of the Deloitte Technology Fast 50 and Deloitte Technology Fast 500 Awards. And great guy to talk to. And, you know, we covered off certain things. And some things that he actually talked about was about learning from yourself and learning from others' experiences. And then we also talked about the, the importance of having a purpose that's higher than you. And so if you've got a purpose that's bigger than you, that you can go and drive for and get people around you to help you get that. And here was another interesting area that we covered off. Humanity needs to lead and not technology. So humanity should be leading and not technology. Pretty cool stuff. So we had a great time and had a lot of fun. So let's sit back and listen to the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a great guest here with me today. His name is Faisal Hawk. Faisal, a massive welcome to you. Thank you for having me, Billy. It's a pleasure and honor. Yeah, awesome. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in Stamford, Connecticut, which is right outside of New York City here in the U.S. And have you always been there? Is that where you, have you, were you born there? Were you originate no. from there? No, no, no. It's, uh, I've been here now close to 30 years, but I was originally born in Bangladesh, came to U.S. in my late teens to study, and then ended up in Minnesota and Illinois, and then came, moved to East Coast, started my professional career, started in Fortune 500 companies, and then built a series of uh, tech companies of my own, and ended up writing a few books here and there. Mm, cool. Very good. And and so you're Bangladesh, we just had the, well, it's actually happening still, we've got the final coming up, which is the Cricket World Cup. Yes. And uh, yeah, Bangladesh was in there playing against New Zealand, I think. And um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was really good. Yeah, the, 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 the team has gotten better and better over the years. And it's still a young team. Yeah, they have. And you're right, they are a young team and still growing, maturing. But uh, yeah, really, really good to see. Now, you said a little bit about your background, so... Let's hear more about that. So you've you've actually developed some commercial businesses and technology platforms and so forth, and also you've worked for large organizations. Tell us a little bit more about the kind of roles you've done and experiences you've had. Sure. So, you know, I've, when I first started out, I started out as an R&D engineer because of my tech background. And then from there on, 
went into working for Dun & Bradstreet for their process improvement. And right after that, started my first company, which was in kind of middleware software business and ended up merging that with GE Capital to start GE Capital's first e-commerce business. And then uh, raised a lot of money from venture capital to launch my next company. Got fired from that company, started the next company, made it a pretty big success. And it is around that time, we're now talking uh, 2002, 2003, four timeframe, is when I started writing uh, books along with running my company purely as a, as a hobby and as a, you know, just to highlight whatever that I was learning. And these books are primarily around leadership and innovation and creativity and organizational transformation type of tenant. And then, you know, um, five years ago, after existing my last company, I decided that I wanted to uh, really work with our government. So I've been heavily working with our federal government, the U.S. federal government, and uh, didn't really write anything for a few years. So recently wrote Lyft, uh, which is around kind of observing uh, where the world today is post-pandemic and all of the climate change and a lot of the misinformation that we see and how the world is changing and how can we prepare ourselves. That came out earlier this year, became a number one most journal bestseller. And then we also released the second edition of my previous book called Everything Connects, which also became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Everything Connects focuses on finding yourself, finding your authentic call and how to apply that to be more innovative and create long-term value. And by value, I don't mean financial value, it's a value of impact. Um, mm. so that's kind of my, my uh, journey. And just like everybody else, I had tremendous amount of ups and downs professionally and personally. Health issues with my mother, son, etc. So I have, quote unquote, have had a pretty enriched full life and I'm very grateful for that. Mm. Wow, that's cool. Now tell me, yeah, we, we all go through some ups and downs in life and we've, we've actually gone through quite a bit over the last two or three years as well around the world with the wonderful pandemic that we didn't want, but you know, we got. And it was really interesting to see that. Now I see here as well, part of your bios that you've actually a strong believer that it's through knowledge sharing that we may provide the greatest clarity on how to improve our collective future. And we're going to be talking about the future a little bit later on in, in the episode, but I think the knowledge sharing. Tell us a little bit more about what your thoughts on knowledge sharing and why that is important and, and how do people, our listeners, right, the, the, the leaders and, and um, at all various levels within different organizations, businesses and that today, what can they do to get the knowledge and then also how do they share it? Sure. I mean, look, the knowledge, there is obviously the classic way of learning when you read a book or you go to school and you take a course. Those are very important. It teaches how, how to learn. But I think the best way to learn is when you learn from other and your own experiences. And, you know, when you listen to other people's story and their experiences, that, that stays on to you. I mean, there's a saying when people say that, you know, people don't remember anything except the stories, right? So when we learn best from other people's story and our own personal journey. So I believe that when we share those journeys, uh, and the lessons from those journeys, those journeys stays on with the audience. And there is no better way to contribute, to pass on to other people so that they can learn and hopefully be better at what they're doing than you are. Hopefully they make less mistakes than, than you have made along your journey. So I, I'm a, a pretty uh, a prolific sharer of knowledge any way I can. 
whether that's on campus uh, or whether that's, you know, with my colleagues, uh, whether that's uh, my customers or whether that's on through my books or, you know, social media, wherever. I'm a big believer in sharing knowledge. Yeah, that's great. I think too many people may learn. And I mean, there's two sides, Faisal, that I think about. One person is somebody who doesn't learn anymore because they think they know it all. That's one. And then number two is there's, an, there's three actually. And then the number two is somebody who does learn, but they don't want to share with others. They like to hang on to it and kiss it and look after it. It's mine. You're not having it. And then there's the third person who does learn and then share as well with others as well, which is really, really important. And I think, you know, leaders are those who are people who share knowledge and, and, and help other people grow, which is wonderful to see. And this is the main reason for this, this podcast actually is about allowing having people like you come on board to talk about the topic of leadership is changing, to talk about leadership and change, but also about what it means for our listeners. And, and hopefully they can learn something from it and go from to another level with it for sure. Absolutely. Look, good. It's leaders, the greatest story, right? Um, you remember mm. their stories and you learn from their stories. So yeah. I certainly relate to your sentiment. I'm happy that you're doing this podcast that's exclusive focus on this topic. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, I think what we're finding here is that people are wanting to learn and they're wanting that knowledge, but they're wanting some really strong knowledge that they can trust and also then do something with it if they want to, right? And so this is a platform to allow them to do that, to have help them develop their voices as leaders and then go out there and be the voice of impact, which is important. Yeah, Faisal, question for you here is, how did you, you, you've been in different roles in leadership and so forth over the years, we can, you know, you've just shared that with us, but how did you actually get into leadership? I don't think, uh, you know, there's, so there's a practice of leadership and there's the study of leadership and then there's a, self, you know, awareness of that, that you are maturing as a leader. So I think for me, the practice of leadership started when I was, you know, kind of gone to the next level of my career where I was managing people or where I was being part of a large group. And then ultimately when I started running companies, obviously that requires tremendous amount of leadership because you have to bring a lot of people together. But then, you know, when I started writing, that was kind of the study of leadership from your observation, both from my own personal experience, but also from what other people does or doesn't do, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's the evolution that I think it's kind of started with an early talk, which I was terrible at. Mature, didn't know a lot of different things. And um, what I, leadership, what well, time, but my, in my, early 50s is very different thing. So you mature leader and you learn different things, uh, different stages, and you also learn different things from different people, right? So, and they have had many teachers over the years. Like, you know, I like to tell a story. I say that the first teacher was this janitorial supervisor that I had in my shift when I was in college, all right? Uh, because he taught me, he was the first person who started into mindfulness and and like and etc. And then and professional as I like play grown I have had CEOs of large position as my mentor. I had my boss developed by mentor than now other people who likes but are all like all of those folks as my and it's Interesting how we've had different teachers in our lives or people come in to mentor us or 
maybe even give us a message as well, right? Sometimes yeah. they've gone off, right? It, it, it doesn't mean it has to be somebody we're reporting yeah. into, but it's uh, sometimes right. we can learn from various people. Yeah. Mm. Now, this question here that I've got for you next is, this person could be alive or from history. Who's yeah. your favorite leader and why? I don't think I can, uh, I, you know, I, I was thinking about this uh, earlier. I cannot say that he is the only one person that's the, my favorite leader. I'm a very multidisciplinary person and I study multidisciplinary science and art. I have had many different favorite personalities as that I consider as my teacher. So, you know, I, I, as, as you sense from my, one of my book called Everything Connects, I'm very much into mindfulness and I, I have a lot of Buddhist monk types as my leader in that context. So, for example, Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a Vietnamese monk and a teacher in mindfulness is one of my favorite teachers because he teaches us how to be grounded. You can look at folks like, you know, in the literature area, you know, in, from my own culture, Nobel Laureate Tagore, uh, I consider as a, as a, as a guiding post. My, my late friend, Eto, who used to be the chairman and CEO of Toshiba USA, was my mentor and I consider him as a, as a tremendous leader. Also from the history, you know, I mean, you can look at any, anything from uh, corporate leaders to, uh, you know, political leaders like Martin Luther King. These are all people that I admire and try to emulate any way I can. So I cannot say that th there is one leader that is my favorite leader, depending on the topic. And at the same time, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Da Vinci because of the way he thought and the way he executed art to science and then to engineering. Right? So, so I've had a, 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 a rich world of, of leaders that I can tap into, dead or alive, or, or people that I have met or people I haven't met just from the study of their pattern and what they did. I, I consider them as my as my guiding post. Yeah, very good. I mean, that's that's great that you've got all those different people because, you, as you say, you, you take different people, things from different people. What would be one or two things you might might have taken from one of those people, some of those people? You know, in other words, that's the why part of the question, which is why why are they sort of people that you sort of admire or you, you've mentioned now? Is there anything in particular on why? Yeah, yes, absolutely. You know, there's a common theme between all the people that I just mentioned, right? So, all those people that I mentioned was very purpose-driven. They had a purpose that is higher than themselves. Uh, that's one thing. They were very awake or very mindful of how they wanted to utilize uh, their, you know, talent or their their expertise to manifest those purpose that geared towards betterment of people in general. And the third element was that how. Uh, they had a very empathetic soul to relate to other people, to, to influence, encourage, and inspire to, to not just move themselves, but move others, right? So that's the common theme among all of those folks. And, and that's why I like them. And, and that's kind of like a salient learning that I have had almost from all of them, but from a different angle and different lens and, and, and different, you know, with different initiative they have taken on throughout their lives. Yeah, I like it. Purpose, a purpose well, they're driven by purpose. Well, they have a purpose that they're driving. So a purpose that's higher than themselves, betterment of people, but also the other one is that they relate to people, they influence, encourage, and inspire others to move others, which is pretty yep. cool to hear. Yeah, yeah it's yep. very good. Faisal, if you were to 
you choose. I don't know. I mean, there's a few of them there. But if you were to have a, a sit down on a on a park bench with one of them and have a coffee, what what would be one question you want to ask them? So you know, I would ask them that: How do you consciously practice that that empathy and a mindfulness when you are when you are not able to? That would be my first question because to me. In order to be a better leader or in order to achieve something, you have to be very grounded. And, and it is a difficult task. Even Dalai Lama says this, you know, it's a very difficult task to be able to do that constantly because you get frustrated with life. When there is adversity, you get frustrated, right? So for me, that would be the salient question. Then how do you, how do you ground yourself on a regular basis so that you can, you know, interact and, 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 kind of proceed with, with mindfulness and empathy. Mm-hmm. Very good. I like it. I really like it. That's awesome. Now, Faisal, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I mention that title or that statement, what does that mean for you? Look, I, uh, I grew up in, uh, you know, from a professional training point of view, I think one of the places that I had a lot of these uh, notion of leadership was in GE because he at that time was kind of like the beacon of leadership and i kind of got doctrined into this notion that you have to focus this very command and control and a player versus b player and all the c players need to be discarded as i as i've grown with my own own practices of leadership i found those things to be very much a fallacy because leadership especially nowadays when people have many options and people have a wide access of working from anywhere and work with anybody. You really can attract the right talent and 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 keep them on your side to do something meaningful, unless and until you can uh, inspire and influence, and then put together a systemic way of doing that. Right. So that doesn't come from the classic command control, you know, leadership culture that many of us has grown up with, like you did in your early days or I did in my early days. So they, in that context, I think leadership is changing for better, whereby high focus on emotional intelligence, high focus on intrinsic uh, motivation and high focus on mindful practice to to do better than how you found it. And and make an impact above and beyond just uh, making the, you know, the bottom line impact and the top line growth, right? So, so in that context, I think leadership is dramatically changing. And by the way, technology plays a huge role into all this because mm-hmm. technology is allowing us to, to get rid of a lot of the mundane things that we used to do and giving, free us up more time to do, think about these you know, these things that, that really very much humanistic. So it all depends on how we look at it and how we want to apply that to move things forward. Fascinating. We're going to talk a little bit more about the technology in the next question I'm going to ask you, but I think that what you've just shared there is really, really interesting. And it's, I like the word you just use. It is dramatically changing. It's like, wow, okay, that's yeah. cool. Because, you know, as you say, we all learned things about the GE model or the examples there and that. The year totally different nowadays. Some of the foundation stuff's still out there, right? But I mean, I think it's it's, it's the application of it and how it's used and, and so forth is actually, actually has changed. The command and control versus what it is today, more collaborative, working remotely and things like that. Now, when, we, when you just mentioned technology, what a great segue into the next question here, because I think that 
as you're saying, technology is driving a lot of this. And life, I mean, we know one thing is the constant, that is change. But they also know that life is getting faster and faster all the time, or it seems to be getting faster. Technology is driving it, but also data, business, social, all of that kind of stuff is getting faster. What do you reckon is something that leaders need to be mindful of to be successful today in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? Look, I mean, there is, so let's take a very simple example, right? I mean, you know, because we have technology, we have high access and, and we have, we, we're, we're a lot less formal than we used to be. So it's, you know, you can reach out to anybody, you can talk to anybody, but, and, and you can express your opinion any way you want, wherever you want, meaning social media and otherwise, right? So, but here's where it comes, where you have to, you know, very, very mindful. You have to be very, very mindful how you interact and, you know, with, with on this platform because it goes very viral very fast, right? So, and it can be misinterpreted, you know, very easily. So, you know, when, when somebody is talking face to face and you're looking at the body language versus when you're sending a text message, it, it's not the same. I mean, you could, you can look at the text message and read it in a thousand different ways. Or when you're expressing some opinion on social media, it could be easily very much misunderstood, right? So, so that, that just, I'm using that as an example, how it is even more important to be conscious about how you express yourself. But it is because of the technology where, whereby I can easily reach out to my teams, no matter where they are on the planet, right? So I have a team in, you know, I have an Asian team, I have a European team. I have team in the, here in, in uh, Virginia. I have my research team in other places. I can reach out to them anytime, you know, with a matter of you know, seconds, right? That wasn't possible. And lots also like, you know, when you talk about automation, automation has allowed us to not to do a lot of the mundane things that we used to, you know, like think about like if you wanted to do an analysis, it used to take days and days of analysis. If you wanted to run some, uh, analysis utilizing uh, the old methods. Now you have an algorithm that does the analysis and you're making decisions based on those, based on those uh, algorithm views, right? So a lot of those things allows us to be far more productive than it used to be. So, so technology can be for good. Technology also can be for, can be, can be very harmful. It all depends on how you yourself want to you know, utilize that level of technology to, to either be more productive, more inclusive, more accessible versus completely destructive, right? So there's an ethical and a social dilemma that's being booed up mm. because technology, the advancement of technology. And we are going to see this complexity even more and more. And you see this in politics, social behavior, corporation everywhere, right? So yeah. it's you know, permeated everywhere. That's amazing. Damn if you do and damn if you don't in the way of technology, I think is, is one thing. But I think the other thing too is, you know, you and I have seen different things. I remember landing in Sydney, Australia on my way back from Greece many, many years yeah. ago. And yeah. I walked through the airport because they want us off for an hour or so, refill the <laughs> flight, walking through, people watching a TV. I'm going like, oh, what film's that? And it's 9-11 right. happening live. And I was like, right. whoa, technology was right. able to bring that to yeah. wherever you were around the world. Next thing right. is I'm walking through another hotel in Wellington on my way to go home, and there's a TV blaring. I'm going, like, oh, what's that? And then it's the, it's the tsunami hitting Japan. I'm like, right. look, at, look at technology. We can watch it live. It's right. amazing. And then right. on the other side, 
If you think about the film that came out about Sully, who's the captain of the air flight, the airplane that landed yeah. on the Hudson yeah. River, right? Not too far away from probably where you were, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. But you know how he was in court and they were trying to say, no, you could have actually, you know, gone to this other airport, but if you put the human element in it with the technology, right. then it's totally different again, right? And there's a delay. And it's right. just, it's amazing to see how we, how we use technology to help us, but then also technology can be used against us as well. And it's, um, yeah, or not being used in a very good way. So I think from a leadership perspective, yeah, we need to be a little bit smart about that too and, and understand what's going on. Oh, sure. You know, and, and like, you put, you know, this is coming from a technologist. I'm a, I'm bought in my heart and soul. I'm a technologist and I, I need a, a both a professional and my, you know, the, the creative pursuit utilizing technology and creating new technology. But I think it's humanity that needs to lead versus letting technology lead the humanity, right? So, so it's a, we have to be, have to be tapping to our humanities in order to best utilize technology. Otherwise, we'll go to a complete self-destruction mode, mode, which I'm, you know, I mean, often uh, worry about that. Yeah. I'm a technology kind of guy too. I mean, I started off as a COBOL, COBOL programmer many, many years fact, ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're 30 um, years old. Yeah, you and I are still young guys, so we wasn't there yeah. long ago. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I think I love what you say that humanity needs to lead and not technology to lead humanity. I think it's it's a really, really important thing. I think technology is a tool. It's, a, it's yes. an enabler, and that's the way yep. we need to look at it. For, yeah. Sure. All righty. So you and I have been talking about things in relation to leadership and about leaders, and you mentioned you've got teams in different areas or different parts of the world, an international team. So. Yep. If we think about it from the lens of an employee, the employee's expectations, how has that changed around their expectations of leaders? Look, I mean, and some, some has, has the, you know, there's a, a team that I use both in my practice as a leader, but also as, a, as what I write about these. We have to manage outcome, not the time or the people, right? So because you have to look at what people are producing and whether that whatever they're producing has any kind of meaningful impact versus when people throw up at work and how long they, you know, spent at the office versus home or wherever. Uh, because once you focus on the outcome and once you focus on the impact of those, out, uh, you know, the output, then you start thinking very differently, right? So I, I mean, these are recent conversation about, you know, well, should we people, should we let people work from home? Should we let people, you know, all stay at the office all the time? I have always had remote team, at least for the last 20 years, if not longer. And I have always, always focused on, uh, you know, the outcome and the impact rather than who was coming at eight o'clock and who's staying until midnight, right? Those are, you know, those are kind of like not the real, real measurement of, of, of employee productivity. Mm -hmm. So. I think that from a leadership and management point of view, as more we focus on output and more we focus on impact and we enable our employees to make that happen in their own time and with their own talent. And, you know, let's not forget, everybody has different biorhythm when they produce. Some people work best in the morning. Some people produce best in the middle of the night, right? So we also have to take that under consideration, right? So. So from that point of view, you asked me this question, I'm going to go back to this, how leadership has changed. I think we have to increasingly become output and impact focused versus the 
managing the people focus mindset. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Focus on the outcomes and the impact. I think is really, really good in what you shared there. Now, the thing here is I want to get, your, get you to get your crystal ball out here and think about the future, Faisal. So the question here is, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think this trend of, you know, like I can tell you from my own, own observation, I mean, you know, when I wrote Everything Connects, you know, that was eight years ago. And I heavily argued that first and foremost, the leaders needs to be mindful to be awakened. And as a result, they can drive creativity and innovation. And unless you do that, cannot be or not really be that long-term value. I think in five years, more and more leaders are going to be more focused on humanities or they will have to be focused more on his humanity and the skills that focus around trans, you know, trans, which is made up with the influence institution and current and, and uh, the focus on the emotional intelligence so that they can, they can really move the next generation by enabling them with process and technology, not not just measuring them performance matrix in the, uh, you know what happened last quarter and what's going to happen this quarter, which is important because you have to survive, but you can make long term uh, impact unless you practice those things I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great, excellent. Now, if uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Look, I mean, I, I have a pretty uh, extensive uh, presence on the web, but vitalhog.com, which is my website, is a place to go. And if you're on LinkedIn, absolutely go to LinkedIn. I post, you, you, we started talking about knowledge. I post some some nuggets of knowledge every day uh, on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn as well, which is my page is Faisalhog. Awesome. Faisal, been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Excellent. All right, listeners. Hey, it's a real pleasure being with you. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 